Welcome to Pushing Forward with Alicia, a podcast that gives disability a voice. Each week, we will explore topics like confidence, ambition, resilience, and finding success against all odds. We are creating a collective community that believes that all things are possible for all people. Open hearts, clear paths, let's go. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia, and today's guest is so near and dear to my heart. She is my college roommate. She's my very best friend. Her name is Carrie Vanderbaum. She's got a PhD degree. She was born with spina bifida. Her disability is very similar to mine. We'll dive into that a little bit. Our friendship has been one of the most important friendships that I've ever had in my life because you are the one and only friend that I have that is in my day-to-day that looks like me, that we have stories that we can relate to down to like dating or how shoes fit or how it feels to drive or go to school with a disability. So this sisterhood has been very, very important. And your focus with a lot of your work has been in obesity prevention, adaptations for children and adults with disabilities. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. First of all, welcome, Carrie, so much. You have so much experience and expertise, not only um, from the lived experience as a disabled person, but you've studied it and implemented it and done all these research projects on it. Yeah, I think my trajectory of what I focused on really evolved because in the beginning, you know, at like at Chico State, it was about focusing on the more so the individual, I guess you could say. So you know, wanting to address the issue of health and looking at why individuals, you know, specifically, I noticed um, individuals with spina bifida were, you know, you'd see a lot of issues about overweight and obesity, especially at a young age. And I was just really curious about that. But over time, and, you know, even through Chico State and like working in different, you know, sports and recreation programs with individuals, thinking about our own experience, that that piece about advocacy and access to opportunities was always in the background. And I think happily evolved into more issues of access and opportunities and more widely, not just overweight and obesity, right? Because then there's issues of mental health and and so many other things. So it quickly evolved. And so then for, I think the majority of my PhD and then um, into my uh, postdoctoral work, it was really more public health focused and not the individual, but looking more at the population of people with disabilities and not just spina bifida, but anyone and everyone, physical, intellectual, acquired, chronic, whatever it might be, older adults. And and that's how it kind of evolved. What is the prevalence of obesity for people with disabilities? I mean, I would say it's in that 50 to 60% range, and it could even be higher. Again, you know, some disabilities, it's lower, um, a lower prevalence, and then some, it's it's much higher. Spina bifida has, I'd say, probably one of the higher rates. Mm-hmm. And what I was also hearing and what you just said is focusing more on like the systemic issues of lack of accessibility and lack of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, we, we call it like the social determinants of health. And so whether, you know, it's a person with a disability or because of your race or gender. So yeah, we, we call it social determinants of health and it, it, it does, it comes down to more, more of societal factors um, than those individual factors, you know, and, and the, the personal behavioral change factors, right? So uh, yeah, you know, access to even education, right? You can't improve your diet if you don't know what you're supposed to be eating. But then you, even if you know what you're supposed to be eating, right? When, and again, this is where it was really important to focus, go from, I mean, I think it's important to focus on the individual, but the realization that you also have to focus on the wider you know, more that more holistic focus of the, you know, society. So even if you teach an individual what they're supposed to eat, if they can't, if they don't have access to a grocery store that provides those foods and fruits and vegetables or whatever it might be, and in an affordable way, uh, or, you know, with affordable prices, um, then there's, there's so, you know, there's so many different barriers. And even if there is that grocery store, you know, does it have stairs to get up into it? You know, we have this really cute grocery store, like two blocks from our house, but it's very old. Um, It's a little corner mom and pop shop, but it has stairs to get into it. So my husband, who is also in a wheelchair, him and I, we're not, we're not accessing that grocery store because, because of those stairs. Maybe you can enlighten our listeners a little bit about your disability, your path? So I was born with spina bifida and I was, I would say, I guess, born with somewhat of a milder case. Um, My uh, spina bifida is basically a malformation of the spine, spinal column and the spinal cord where basically the, it doesn't develop properly. And so oftentimes what will happen is there will, the, the baby will be born with an opening along the spinal column and it can be higher or lower. And of course, just like a spinal cord injury, if it's higher, you know, there's probably going to be more physical disability associated with it. If it's lower, you know, then there's less typically. And so oftentimes with that opening, like the spinal cord might be protruding, the nerves might be protruding. And then, so that's where some of the damage is done. Mine, I was, you know, more fortunate, I guess you could say. So it was my lesion actually had closed over. So some of the damage that's done to the spinal cord and nerves was, um, it was less than typical, but it it did cause, you know, issues with bowel bladder, wasn't able to walk um, without like a walker and braces. You know, I could do that. And they were trying to get me to do that when I was very young, around, you know, four or five but then my spinal cord tethered, which just caught basically just caused more damage to the nerves. So then I lost any ability to potentially walk without any um, equipment. So then basically just have been a full-time wheelchair user from basically my, I don't know, toddler years. Uh, Grew up in a wonderful family. My mom was a single parent we were, you know, somewhat poor. So I always say, and I think it's kind of true, poverty kind of saved me because my mom wasn't there. Um, I mean, she was there, but she was working a lot. And so I was just running around the neighborhood with my brother and sister, like every other kid, scraping up my knees, getting into trouble. Activity was a really important part of my life from a, a very young age. And I grew up in a very small town. 
I think there was only one other person, young person that had a physical disability. Um, I think you and I both have those same experiences of being the one and only kid with a disability in school, in our classes. And I think meeting people that are like you, having friends that that you can bounce off of each other lived experiences that are pretty hard, whether it's bowel or bladder or dating or clothes or all of it. Yeah. I, I, one of the fun, this is well along those lines, it's to me, it's also really funny, you know, even in an adulthood, you know, I've, you know, I used to be really embarrassed. I mean, I think a lot of us are right. And I mean, I still am right. When we have, you know, to have to talk about poop and pee issues or when, when it happens and it's in a, you know, it's in your pants and it's not supposed to be because we're adults and whatever, but like talking to some friends who don't have disabilities and uh, it was, and it is still just so funny to me getting to hear their stories about pooping and peeing their pants as adults and I'm like oh it it happens to you guys too like what okay this is great (laughs) it's not just us (laughs) yeah I agree that's interesting (laughs) to like they're like oh yeah that's me too okay great you have that problem so I love it (laughs) I really want you to talk about ability first and and what that that program is and your advocacy through that so ability first sports it's a sports program that has been around northern California for oh my gosh since 1985 it's it's a sports and recreation program that just um, provides the opportunity for folks to do different sports and recreation activities whether you consider yourself an athlete or not it originally started off as a it was actually just a day camp for like a week long you know, where you had to drive in and drive out. Um, But quickly, I think after the second year became an overnight camp. That's what we started off as for many, many years for youth. So seven, eight to to 18 year olds. And uh, for one week, they'd come and live in the dorms at Chico State. And during the day, we would do a variety of different sports. And at night, we would do different recreation activities. And All the participants have physical disabilities. Of course, we have some that have co-occurring disabilities, right? But physical is the main one. Um, And then some some have intellectual disabilities as well. And all the coaches also have disabilities themselves. So that makes our program pretty unique. One of the other unique parts of our program, besides being an overnight residential camp, is that uh, we kick parents and caregivers out. So we provide the day and night counselors and have nurses on staff, and we allow parents to come in, I think, what, two or three different events, but really then we make them leave because we want the individual participants to get to really experience the experience to be had and grow. And we usually send these kiddos home, different people, more independent, um, more confident, because they have had the opportunity to hang out with other kids with disabilities and have those bonding moments of all these things that we have in common, like you and I have experienced. And then we we realized that once these kiddos aged out of our program, there really still was nothing left for them in the community. So we started a year-round program. So it's for youth and adults. You're listening to Pushing Forward with Alicia, and we will be right back. 
If you're an employer looking to motivate and inspire your team through the power of diversity and inclusion and learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace and how to include disability into your DEI efforts, please check out my keynote speech offerings on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on speaking. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia, and today's guest is so near and dear to my heart. She's my very best friend. Her name is Carrie Vanderbaum. So Ability for Sports, it's a sports program that has been around Northern California since 1985. Currently, uh, what it looks like is in the fall, we do different programs like wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, um, cycling during the spring we might switch it up. We still do cycling. It's a big hit. We have archery the summertime. And actually just yesterday, we had a water ski clinic. So we skied about 10 different skiers. The families came out and hung out and, you know, in the, it's a private man-made lake. So they all got to just hang out on the beach and play in the water while waiting. And, and again, you know, bonding with each other. Parents, caregivers got to hang out. And it's just such a, such a fun time. I just love the ability for a sports camp. I was a coach with you there a few times. It's a beautiful experience. So if there are parents out there or kids out there that are interested in going away to camp and, and being active and making friends, like it's definitely something to look into. And we're going to leave all that information in the show notes. For those who might be listening that don't live in this area per se, like then there's other opportunities in other states. Unfortunately, not as many as there should be, but they are out there. And I do think it's really important to get involved and check them out. Even if people don't necessarily consider themselves athletes or they don't want to be associated, maybe, you know, as a person with a disability with sports, you know, because I have heard that like, oh, you know, people always ask if I'm a Paralympian, you know, just because I'm in a wheelchair and they don't want to be associated with that. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, so it's, you know, finding finding another program or other groups of people or community that can provide that same those same experiences and feelings. Right. Because it's not necessarily the activity. It really is the magic that happens in between all of the activity. Right. Um, so it doesn't matter what it is. It's just having that opportunity to be around people, you know, with other disabilities so that you can learn and grow and just know that you're not alone. Right. And I think that's a really good segue to our experience that we just had together, which was Carrie and I had just attended a disabled women empowerment event called the Rolettes. And this is an organization, a nonprofit that does this weekend every year where hundreds of women with disabilities from, I think the youngest there was like five years old to who knows any age can attend this event. And it's all about creating community within a women empowerment standpoint. And they do dancing and hair braiding. And so this event, I was invited to be a speaker. And I, of course, was like, Carrie, I'm going to this women empowerment weekend. Will you come and let's go dance together. I was really excited not only to speak, but to be an attendee, to be around a bunch of women with disabilities. And there was some pinnacle moments for me. And I want to hear what one was for you, but 
the teen talk day when we, when they had me sit in that big circle with all those girls, you know, I told them about my path a little bit, but then one of them specifically was, what do I do when my teacher does not include me? How do I convince them that I am able to do whatever that activity was? So what's the answer to that, Carrie? I don't know if there's a great answer. I mean, other than the system has to change. I mean, hearing some of that, well, it really just shits me because, you know, it's been, I don't know, how long has it been since we've been in high school, right? And like, and things haven't changed. Like, it re- it really shits me that we have these laws in place, that we have more awareness of, you know, inclusion. I don't know why it hasn't changed. And it it sucks because, you know, like in that situation with that young woman, it's like, all right, she's in a situation where clearly the teacher doesn't get it. So there's got to be advocacy. And, you know, sure, some of it needs to come from that that young woman, but some of it also needs to come from adults, whether that is a parent or caregiver or someone else. When I think like you said is a good point. If you're in a position of power or leadership, it's time to start to advocate and challenge the status quo. It's not up to the 14 year old girl that wants to go to camp with the other students. It's up to leaders to look through a new lens and start to advocate louder, to challenge the status quo, to check their own biases at the door, to look through a creative lens of how to make things and adapt things to make it possible. I think a lot of times too, it doesn't take that much to make some of those adaptations. It doesn't take much to ask questions, um, right? Uh, So those leaders asking those questions, you know, for an example, you know, I, again, growing up in a small town back in the day, right? Where, you know, the ADA didn't exist at that point, you know, but section 504 of the rehab act did. So I remember in sixth grade, you know, we, we go to environmental camp. I don't know how it is around the rest of the the U.S., but we go to environmental camp and it wasn't even a question of whether or not I was going. It was like, all right, how are we going to, you know, what do you need? How are we going to make this work? You know? And, and I went just like everyone else and participated just like everyone else. And it didn't take much um, other than, I guess, making sure there weren't stairs into my cabin. To me, in my head, it's not that hard. It isn't that hard. It's, it's getting over um, what has been traditionally accepted for the inclusion of people with disabilities and especially kids, which has been not much, honestly. It's being human. It's being, it's not just don't be an a-hole, be human. Yeah. Was there anything that you took away from the Rolex experience that you want to share? You know, from the get-go, you and I getting to travel there, like it was, that was just so wonderful getting to hang out with you. But, you know, when we're waiting, when we arrived in LA, at LAX, you know, going to get the shuttle to go to the hotel, you know, there's so much anxiety there. Is the bus going to come with a ramp? You know, I know they said that it was going to be there, but is it? Are we get, or we, even if it comes, are we going to have to wait two hours? Right. But everything was so smooth going into the hotel and seeing they had the lifts and the pool. And again, it's just those little things that just make my heart happy. Seeing all, there were so many when we rolled into the, the lobby, we're like, whoa. 
there's a lot of us. <laughs> I feel like in our, our world of sports, it's a lot of men and a couple women here or there. So that was really cool. It's giving me the children because I loved just being around a bunch of disabled. That's probably the first time ever um, to be in that large of a group of disabled women specifically. Yeah, absolutely. That was so cool. You know, I think one of those pinnacle moments was you talking to the teens. It was cool because they obviously need it. They need they need that role model. But it also reminded me of like, oh, my God, <laughs> we have so much work to do. <laughs> There's, we need more people to help address these issues. We need, we need more advocates. We need more allies. Um, we, we have a lot of work to do. And yeah. so, you know, even hearing um, some of the other folks that were on your panel and just the wonderful work they're doing, it gives me hope as well. And then just some of those young women and, you know, what they're doing and how they're fighting um, for, you know, themselves and others with disabilities also gives me hope. The teen talk was for me the most important thing, the experience that I had there as well. And it it was for all those reasons that you just said, like seeing how they're advocating for themselves or how much work there is to do, still to do and just the raw emotion. It it took me back to adolescence. You know, I think yeah, I'm in my forties now. So it's like to, to rewind and go back to those moments and remember how hard it is to be a disabled girl in high school with, you know, puberty and dating and, and the lack thereof and not getting invited to prom and feeling like you don't fit in clothes right and teachers not including you. And I mean, some of these girls were in tears. It's given me some new motivation to continue to find more outlets like that to be an example for those girls like we did not have. Because when we were at the Rolettes, there was so much hope in these girls' eyes. Um, so much more than I had when I was that age. And I feel like that these are the moments that we can gift to others now, like looking back in the rearview mirror so they can be a little braver, a little bolder, a little more confident sooner than I know for sure that I was. I think it definitely gives a lot of weight to the importance of the stuff that you do with businesses, right? And trying to make things more accessible and inclusive and you know, so when these girls go off to college, they can go work for any company they want without being discriminated against. We're so, so lucky that we have each other. Oh my gosh. I love you. I love you. We're going to wrap up. And I like to ask our, ask our guests if there's like a mantra or something that, I don't know, is there something that would motivate our listeners that you live by? I mean, life is truly way too short to let other people's negativity or their ableism to weigh on you and stop you from doing what you want to do. Yeah. I, I think just, you know, you gotta, you gotta push forward and keep going even when it's incredibly painful and you feel like you can't anymore. And I, well, actually, and I might ramble from here, but, um, you know, one of the one of the teens when we were at that Rolex experience, you know, had asked about advocacy fatigue and it was like, oh, my God, that's yeah, it's such a real thing. And I, I worry for lots of people about it. Right. And so 
you know, sometimes, you know, you got to push forward, but sometimes you also have to lean into your, some of that anger and sadness and, but you can't lean into it for too long, right? You got to, you know, feel it, know it, but then let it go and keep going. And while you need to take that break, reach out to your community, find someone else who can help keep things going until you can jump back into the game. Know things get better, life is too short, go for it. Thank you so much for joining Carrie and thank you to our listeners once again for helping us build this community. This is Pushing Forward with Alicia and that is how we roll. If you're an employer looking to motivate and inspire your team through the power of diversity and inclusion and learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace and how to include disability into your DEI efforts, please check out my keynote speech offerings on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on speaking.